podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I've been drinking all day. Let's do it. <laughs> Welcome to the Anglo-Italian Podcast. As always, my name is Rory. I'm delighted to be with you and I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam. Hey, Rory. I definitely haven't been drinking this end. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I've been uh, taking a commute into London, the Big Apple, as they would call it in the UK. And uh, yeah, taking in the sights of Google HQ. Um, so far, far from your world of... Uh, Drinking and eating in Milan, and uh, yeah, had a great time. wow, it sounded like epic when we were talking offline. Uh, do you want to kind of spoil it for the re- listener and kind of tell them what you've been up to this evening or afternoon? Yeah, so today is the beginning of like a public holiday in Milan. Um, so we get four days off, which is sick, and there's a, um, a Fiera Artigianale, which is like a world fair. Um, thing for food and alcohol and all sorts so we walked around and ate and drank the entire day um but i've i think i've managed to maintain (laughs) relatively sober or sober enough to do this pod so i apologize if i'm slurring because i actually don't know if i am or not but um i'm ready to talk football because i do remember what happened in the premier league this week you'll probably speak more sense than jamie o'hara though that's a blessing (laughs) i would like to think i need about five more beers to catch up with that um (laughs) But yeah, I feel like I'm doing all right. It was a good day. Um, ate lots of food, uh, bought lots of Christmas presents, um, spent too much money, but it was good. What was Google <laughs> HQ like? It sounds quite exciting. Google HQ is quite funky, I have to say. Um, very kind of, how do I describe it? It's like a square, but on the walls of each floor, you've got kind of the Google symbols and there's one floor okay. that's YouTube, one that's like just Android, like various different symbols. It's quite a funky little room and when you're going up this kind of escalator, um, it's you can see everything basically. So it's one of those. If you're not very good with heights, um, you're kind of holding oh, wow. onto oh, the edge. Okay. So it's not right. it's not very great from that point of view. But I, I'm not too bad with heights, to be fair. Um, okay. But I have to say, even when you're higher up, which I was something like ten four, twelve four. I wouldn't want to kind of look down and go, oh, I fancy a bit of a dive. Let's see how this is like. like. <laughs> too much temptation if you're having yeah. a bad day, in it? It's just too much temptation. You don't need that. Yeah. You don't need that. Yeah. Um, but guys, there is loads of football to talk about. The Premier League went absolutely mental this midweek. Um, we're mm. going to be talking about Aston Villa and are they actually mounting a title challenge? Um, we're going to be talking about Arsenal being exciting again. Um, we'll talk about Liverpool getting the job done. We'll talk about if Palace are in trouble yeah. and if we say if we have to say goodbye to Steve Cooper, uh, which we will all be sad about. And of course, there is a little bit of Copper Italia action. Um, so without any further ado, we're going to take a very quick break and we're going to come back with the Premier League review. And we are back. It is Premier League time. And we're going to start in the Midlands as I think we all kind of saw it coming, right? We all mm. we all had a feeling in our waters that maybe this would happen. <laughs> Aston Villa at home, they make it 14 consecutive wins at Villa Park. The atmosphere was absolutely rocking. Towards mm-hmm. the end of the game, it was honestly, it was incredible. Even through the TV, I was like, you could just feel the atmosphere of that yeah. place. Um, obviously, Aston Villa won, Manchester City nil, Leon Bailey getting the goal deflected by Ruben mm. Diaz. But the, the headlines that are kind of, um, 
or the things that are making the headlines here. Aston Villa, 22 shots, which is the most that has been against a Pep Guardiola team. And Man City, 2, which is the least that a Pep Guardiola team has had in his is in his entire managerial career, right? Um, yep. So not only just a flu- it wasn't a fluky one 0 win; it was an no, absolutely no. dominating uh, mm-hmm. performance. Adam, we kind of thought Villa could do something, but we didn't see this coming, did we? Not necessarily the win. Potentially, I thought it'd be a quite closer game than um, what we saw. And I think what was interesting was um, maybe they uh, saw certainly the signs, which was exploit that left-hand side and you can open them up a lot more easily. And um, it was quite clear from my point of view anyway that they were missing Rodri in the middle of the park for Man City. Um, the difference he kind of makes is quite clear for everyone. And we were talking when we were having the match live at the time, how ironic was it that Douglas Louise, who's playing for Aston Villa, could fill in that role, right? Um, but, I mean, kudos to Aston Villa. They were so expansive. Every time they attacked, they looked threatening. And the thing was, if it wasn't for Edison, Rory, mm-hmm. that could have been a bigger scoreline than actually it was. So, fair play to Edison. I think that gets hidden in terms of the context of the game. Um, interesting stat about Man City. The last time that they went on their four-game uh, run where they hadn't won, uh, was in 2017, again, with Pep Guardiola at the time. And um, yeah, they followed it up with a 5 nil win over Crystal Palace. Now, it's not Crystal Palace this weekend, but it is Luton Town. Got Luton, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, scoreline yeah. could be very similar. I do um, feel quite bad for Luton having to yeah. <laughs> face City after that. It feels unlucky. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. does. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, they were so solid defensively. They were so solid attacking-wise. And what I think we both kind of commented at one point, you could see the banks, the system that mm-hmm. Emery had instilled into his squad. And you could see they were following it to the letter. And it was so nice, symmetrically, if you're OCD. It was so nice yeah, to yeah, watch yeah, on yeah. a football it was, pitch. It was so nice. The, um, patterns, the patterns were beautiful. But what really amazed me was I've not seen a team pin City into their own half. Yeah, I don't think I've true. ever seen that. And I think all you saw was like, you know because I've noticed it with Arsenal this year that the ball comes to Declan Rice and he just maintains that pressure, maintains that pressure Mm. and it just prevents the lines from pushing out. It's the first time I've seen it done against Man City and I thought Aston Villa just constantly, the ball fell to Douglas Luiz or it fell to Diego Carlos, whoever. There was someone there to collect the ball and just maintain that pressure and it meant that City could just not get out Mm. and I just, it was so impressive to see a team do that because that's what City do to other teams. And I mean, yeah, it's the first time I've seen that and I think Unai Emery is just doing a fucking incredible job there. Incredible job there. And all of a sudden that squad looks like, like I think I messaged you during the game, like a player like Diego Carlos. Again, he was incredible at Sevilla. He had that really unfortunate injury, but he was a player we expected a lot from. And to see him come in and look like a dominating centre-back and a centre-back that could be starting for any other team in the league. Like then you've got players like McGinn who've improved so much or Douglas Luiz who everybody's after now. And it's just all of a sudden that squad looks like really high calibre. Um, Mm. And again, it's a lot of them improving because under Gerard, none of these look <laughs> slightly like they'd be pushing towards the top of the table. Um, 
But were there any other players that stood out for you in particular for Aston Villa in the performance? I think Leon Bailey was a constant threat. I loved how wide, like he was constantly out wide, just stretching the defence. Yeah, uh, Bubikar Kamara, uh, he Mm -hmm. seemed to have a really good kind of hold in the midfield, as he kind of alluded to, alongside Douglas Luiz. Um, Tillemans has started to pick up some form. He was quite, really quite good. like good. original Leicester Tielemans, right? It yes, looked like it looked like Leicester the Tielemans, Tielemans yeah. we know that could be there unearthed, right? Um, but the other one was Pau Torres. I thought Pau mm. Torres, I mean, we know his credentials, right, with Villarreal, but he's just starting to look like a bargain buy again. So I know it wasn't cheap, but like for a centre-back that you know that can do a job, he's played Champions League football. He can do it all, right? And he's quite solid. He's good on his feet. I mean, he was unlucky with one of his efforts as well in this match. Mm-hmm. So I thought he was really good. Um, but you could have said that, to be fair, Rory, about the whole Aston Villa squad. Martinez, yeah. when he was tested, he was quite good, you know, solid pair of hands. Um, Watkins was a constant threat as well. Um, I think we've got to highlight how poor Man City are brutally honest yes. and how much they struggled in this match because Foden wasn't his normal self I think mm-hmm. the only player to maybe come out with a bit of credit in this was Silva um, it was weird to see him out on the wing because he's been playing mm-hmm. a lot in More central in midfield and it was weird to see him stuck out wide it feel like he couldn't really affect the game as much as he usually does and Man City couldn't get control of that midfield I feel like yeah. Pep might have slightly got it wrong in picking who was in midfield. Because I feel like Stones having him permanently in midfield, he's obviously used to dropping deep and then coming in. Having him stuck in that midfield, I don't know how much that worked. Akanji the same as well. Yeah. And then Rico Lewis is like a left-back who's kind of being turned into a midfielder, right? I just feel like yeah. there wasn't that player. And obviously that's what Rodri does, right? That's why he's so important to the squad. There wasn't really that player to come in and just control that midfield. And that's why Villa were able to just keep the pressure on, keep pushing. But I feel like Pep kind of got it slightly wrong with the with the team with like the team selection. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think I don't know what Calvin Phillips has done to annoy Guardiola so much, <sighs> but if you're missing a Rodri, bringing in a Calvin Phillips, even if he hasn't got much match match fitness at the minute or match sharpness, mm. he can I would put him in there ahead of Rico Lewis, for example, as someone who can just get the ball, move it yeah, on, yeah. get the ball, move it on, and kind of maybe keep a bit of that control. I feel like the team selection was a bit odd. And I also think Guardiol is becoming a weak point. I think yeah. teams teams know to target him now. And I know it's his first year in the Premier League and he was kind of playing left back and he's a centre back. Yeah. But it very much felt like Emery turned around to Bailey and just said, just run at him every single time. Yeah. Just run yeah, at him. Basically. And they were targeting him. And it's not the first time he's been targeted this season. And it's not the first time he's struggled. So yeah. I think Pep might have to revert back to Nathan Ake, like we said last week. I'm yeah. kind of surprised he's not been picked yet. But do you think Guardiola is becoming a bit of a... Yeah, yeah. Look, I feel sorry for the guy because I think it's not necessarily his fault. He's Mm. been asked to do or carry out something that Pep wants, which is kind of become that kind of left-sided centre back. But as you allude to, he's constantly being, um, you know, targeted. I suppose really every time, just run at him, you know, cause issues because you know you can do a quick turn against him. And he can't really backtrack from that position. Mm-hmm. And I don't think necessarily as well that he's getting that kind of backing on that left-hand side. Now, one of the things that I noted last season was Jack Grealish was more of a left-hand sided kind of winger for Man City. And he does a hell of a lot of like kind of pressurization, you know, chasing the ball. 
which then alleviates that pressure off that mm-hmm. left-sided player. Now, I saw it with Ake. I saw it with, um, obviously, Akanji when he's played in that position as well last season. They didn't get exploited as much as Gvardiol has this season. And I think that's the balance that Pep has to work out what he's got to do there. Now, mm-hmm. I, I feel sorry for Gvardiol because it feels like he's going to have to drop him for it to work, right? But yeah. I don't think it's Gvardiol's fault. I think Gvardiol is better as a centre-back. Mm-hmm. But the problem you've got, I think, personally, is that you've got too many centre-backs right now that are better suited for that position. Yeah. But that said, Ruben Diaz hasn't been brilliant this season. He's, he's having a dodgy season, Ruben Diaz. Yeah. I don't think he's having his best. And like, I know he was unlucky with this goal, right? He sticks a foot out of course, he goes yeah, in yeah. the top corner. But I feel like across the season so far, he's been another player, another defender that people have kind of just ran at and he's made the odd mistake, a lapse yeah. in concentration, whatever it is. I feel like he's not having his best season. And I think... It's kind of weird because hearing Gary Neville, and (laughs) that quote might be used at the end of the show, but hearing Gary Neville Neville refer to like, you know, it's natural for a team to drop off after winning the treble. Like, where do you go from there? What can you do after winning every competition, right? But I think we are really seeing that just there's not that slight bit of like that urgency to press or that bit of concentration or that like, you know, that hunger, whatever it is, It's just not quite there. And yeah. the second a team in the Premier League or the second teams in the Premier League realise that maybe they can have a go at you, they will have a go at you. Yeah. Because I think teams in the past, when they went to City, it'd be like, we'd take a 3-0 loss now. Like, we would bite your mm. hand off for a 3-0 yeah, loss. Yeah. But now, teams are just going, oh, maybe we can have a go. And once yeah, that yeah. happens, the whole thing changes in the in your dynamics of games. And I think it only takes that slight, one percent of drop off for that to happen, and that's what we're seeing with Man City. Um, but the, what is concerning is their lack of creation up front as well. Like for them to only create two, two, two goal scoring chances, right? It what's changed in the attack? Do you think? Do you think it's the fact that Doku wasn't there? Do you think it's the fact that Grealish hasn't come in? Do you think like there's just something that's not quite getting that spark there? Obviously, De Bruyne missing is a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do you exactly. think it, it, it's just that or there's more to it? I think there's a combination of different reasons. Now, I remember I called this out earlier in the season and I got absolutely slated because mm-hmm. of the fact that Man City were creating, they were scoring chances. And I said, no, I, I genuinely think they're going to struggle for creation. And I yeah, yeah. I think it's coming to roost now in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's a combination of factors. Like you say, there's the form elements of the likes of Grealish, for example. I do feel like obviously there's been a lot of reliance on Alvarez since he's been coming to the fold and you know he's been doing quite well but I think in recent weeks he's probably starting to experience that bit of fatigue I think if you look at the kind of sub options as well which was what I was looking at for this match and I I was going to raise this question about Pep and his doesn't seem confident with the likes of Matthias Nunes for example since he's brought him in from Wolves and Mateo Kovacic as well obviously coming off the bench for this match personally I would have maybe started Kovacic instead of like Rico Lewis personally because you know what what kind of performance Um, but also there's been kind of to an extent I think Rory if you look at the last few games um, there's been a lot of reliance towards Foden as well to um, kind of be that bright spark as well as Doku and now Doku being off injured that creates a bit of a dilemma for Guardiola. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe questions that 
bit of depth in that squad. And I, I know that sounds Could really strange, right? That against Man City. Yeah, exactly. Man City is insane. But it's genuinely the case. And I think if you also look at the recent Champions League matches, we um, kind of talked mm-hmm. a few weekends ago about Leipzig and their obviously performance recently and how their forward Matonda, I think it is, um, completely rinsed Ruben Diaz. Completely oh, yeah, overtook yeah, yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, Appende yeah. even. Um, I think there's genuine question marks there as well. So I think there's the exploitation in the middle of the park. But yeah, back to the creation aspects. De Bruyne is a clear miss, but I think mm-hmm. there was always going to be the case of he's going to be replaced. Now, it's interesting that they didn't go with the two speculated options, which was Michael Luce and obviously Eberecha mm-hmm. Ize were kind of quoted as potential like players that they might kind of dabble in. And do you remember there was also that um, Pakata rumour at the beginning of the season as yeah. well? I yeah, think yeah, yeah. one of those three would be ideal for Man City right now in terms of alleviating that kind of pressure mm-hmm. off the other players. But yeah, I, I wonder if he will address it in January. I mean, yeah. that's going to be an interesting period. There's going to be a reaction to this, isn't there? There's going yeah. to be like, and this is why, as an Arsenal fan, I'm trying not to get overexcited <laughs> because I know that once Chris, once we get the other side of Christmas, Man City wake up and they will address the issues in the squad. Yeah. Um, but something that does cheer me up is that that performance was screaming out for Declan Rice, and we got him, and they didn't, and I was absolutely delighted with it. Um, so that did that did help. But before we move on to uh, other games, mm. Aston Villa. How far do you think this season goes? Um, because they are now only um, four points behind Arsenal at the top mm-hmm. of the league. Um, they've won three of their last five. As we said, 14 wins at home uh, in a row. They've got Arsenal at home next. Do we think they could actually mount a title challenge? I, I would say that's a bit far-fetched at this stage, um, mm-hmm. purely because I think... They are trying to balance European football as well at the same time. That's not to say Emery doing it can't well, do it be because they've done it quite well in La Liga, didn't they, with Villarreal. Uh-huh. I think, personally, I think it's a bit of an ask for this Aston Villa squad, but I'm not to say that he can't push on with it next season. I think what's realistic, Rory, is that they'll be in the top four. Um, and that'll be an interesting kind of position for them because uh, it'll be a case of what do they do in January in terms of the transfer mm-hmm. business. And I think it sounds like that they've already started to eye up some uh, options already. We've speculated uh, already offline around Emil Smith-Rowe. Uh, apparently he's been linked with a move to Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised if they go for a striking option, even though they've got that uh, John Duran who obviously mm-hmm. off the bench is decent. quite dangerous he as well. Um, but I do feel that's an area that they will try and back up as well and mm-hmm. just provide a bit more competition, I think, for Ollie Watkins yeah. as well. Um, but what about you? What what do you feel with this Villa squad? I feel like every game for Villa at the minute is kind of a free hit. There's zero pressure on them. There's mm. zero expectation. Yeah. This season is a ride. And I think... The only thing with Unai Emery is having watched him at Arsenal, they give up a lot of chances. And I remember watching, like, Arsenal, we, I remember that game where Watford had, like, 32 shots or something. Like, his teams do give up a lot of shots. Mm. So I do feel like at some point that might counter against them. But if they keep their performances at the current level and if he manages to keep the spirit going, I think they could finish 
third, honestly. <laughs> like, mm. I think they could really push. And remember that this year, if the English teams go as far as they should do in the Champions League, it will be top five that get Champions League. So I think Aston Villa will definitely be, like, should, will definitely be in the Champions League next year. Like, it's an incredible thing that Unai Emery's uh, doing. Yeah. Um, ben, who we've had on the show before, has said that he thinks that Emery is kind of the third best manager in the Premier League. Yeah. I think it's yeah, hard yeah. to disagree at this point. Like, he is very, very good at getting specific tactics for specific teams and imparting that on players. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're at a certain level of club, not being disrespectful to Villa, but when you're a sort of team that isn't expected to imprint your own style of play, like fans just, they don't mind if you change things up, switch things yeah. up or whatever. I think he's really, that's the perfect environment for him. So I think it could be a really, really, it already is, but it's mm. gonna, it will be a really exciting season for Villa. So I think... Yeah, third or fourth is not beyond them at all, which is no. incredible. If you yeah, think yeah. They only got promoted in 2019. It's pretty crazy. It's insane. One other question on this. Where do you think their weak spot is? I think, where is their weak spot? That's a very good point. Because um, the only I place think... I can think of, personally, Rory, mm. would be right back. Yeah, I was thinking the wing backs. Honestly, mm. I was thinking wing-backs was the first thing that came to mind because Moreno is still injured, right? He's not playing at the moment. He came um, back a week ago, if I remember yeah. rightly, in the um, Europa Cup against Legia. Ah, okay. Because he's so, a very, very good player. Yeah, I think, he yeah, played maybe, well that night. Maybe right-back would be the one position because at the moment, the midfield, I think you don't want to touch it. The Maybe, as you said, getting another striker so that they don't rely so heavily on Ollie Watkins could be an area. But they just look, looks like a really well to well put together squad yeah, <laughs> I know it's scary it works it? really well and you think fair play and Villa aren't afraid to spend money either they've spent a lot of money since they've been yeah. in the Premier League so I think yeah it's a very very good squad and the fans will be very very happy and yeah. fair play I love Villa I love Villa Park it's a fantastic yeah, it's nice ground. It, was, it was great to see it absolutely rocking last night so mm. yeah and thank you for beating City because you know, you've <laughs> got to give some of us hope there has to be hope somewhere um <laughs> But leaving Aston Villa there uh, and leaving the villains, we're going to go to a game that made me want to cry. <laughs> Luton 3, <laughs> Arsenal 4. Now, I think this scoreline makes it seem a lot closer than the game actually was. Um, I think Arsenal dominated this game. David Raya threw two shots into the goal. And it made like if you look at all the all the numbers the xg the possession like the the amount of passes the field tilt whatever hipster stat you want to use arsenal were dominating it's just that the goalkeeper is still a problem um but (laughs) saying that luton were absolutely fantastic um their performance Mm -hmm. was incredible they took their chances they caused us problems they did not let us settle this season, it's all been about control for Arsenal. The, the, the word for Arteta has been, oh, we need to control games. And Luton made it chaotic. And that is why we struggled. Um, so I want to give Luton their flowers, but I think this game was a lot closer than it should have been. <laughs> and that is mainly down to David Raya. But um, Adam, what were your impressions of the game before I kind of go into detail? I was going to say, I think it was a very valiant effort by Luton. Um, this is the Luton that I associate from my days of watching Wickham. Um, they're rough. They get in your face. They don't give you time on the ball. Um, mm. 
And it was interesting seeing the kind of experience heads really turn it on as well. So we're talking about Andras Townsend. We're talking about Ross Barkley. Ross Barkley, Barkley was, was incredible, man. He, he was, was unbelievable. He reminded us why he was such a big hype back in the day. Like that performance was incredible. And he, to be fair to him, he's done that in the last few games. It mm-hmm. just hasn't necessarily kind of been focused. It was in this match where... He was just doing incredible runs, holding the ball. At one stage, he was the only Luton player, you know, trying to take the ball where he had no Luton players around him to help him out. And he was having to just hold it off as best as he could against Arsenal's kind of midfield and defence. That (laughs) kind of tells you the picture. But, I mean, they had some individual good performances as well. Alfie Dohi, I think is how he pronounced it. Dauhiti had a great game as well on that left-hand side. and also Adebayo, who obviously scored the goal. He was a bit of a nuisance as well during the game as well. I thought they were just solid. Kaminsky, I think, kept them in it for majority. And I know the goal scoring... Kaminsky, no. Yeah, he, he obviously had a bit of hype from Blackburn when he was okay. there. Yeah, That's yeah. where they brought him in from. And he, he was one of those that was touted to be potentially one of the Premier League clubs that might want to um, take a dabble on him. And I think, yeah, he's proving his worth. I think I was looking earlier, he's the a goalkeeper that has um, denied the most goal-worthy shots in the Premier wow, League. Okay. So wow. it shows you that he's saved them a fair few times. Um but obviously, I think also what played into it was that crowd, that atmosphere at Kenilworth Road. I think that that's yeah, the yeah, fortress yeah. that I thought we would see a lot more of. And I think it's starting, there's a bit of belief, should we say. There's a bit more belief that they are a Premier League club. And I think the players are starting to believe that they are a Premier League and they deserve to be there now. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think in the first few games, they were... Feeling it a bit sorry like for themselves, didn't they, at the beginning? Yeah, it felt like they kind of, oh, let's just, this is amazing. Like you're at yeah. a theme park, and now they're kind of like, right, let's try and actually stay here. Um, yeah, I think genuinely they they did so well. Um, on to Arsenal, I thought, yeah, very shaky from Arsenal to begin with in terms of the way they can kind of conceded. They obviously the other way they were superb. That's the that's the contrast we of completely Arsenal. Completely dominated the game. Like and that, that's the thing. Even when you were playing it out of defence, you looked solid. Um, yeah, it was yeah. just those set pieces, though, for from a point of view of Luton Town. And David Rear has to take a bit of responsibility for at least two of the goals. Obviously, one being the Adebayo goal, but also Ross Barkley's shot, which that, you that was Just throw terrible. your foot at it. Throw your foot at it. I don't get why he's trying to get down that quick. It's impossible yeah. to get down that quick. Yeah. It was or, or really just close the gaps, strange. right? As a goalkeeper, yeah. just push yourself as much forward to reduce mm-hmm. the opportunity of Ross Barkley having the thought of even having yeah. the time and composure to tuck it past him. So this is going to be, I think, the question mark now for Arteta. Does he consistently persist with Raya or does he give Ramsdale a chance? But Ramsdale is clearly frozen out at this stage. Um, well, also, and- you have to think Ramsdale came in against Brentford and it was only Declan Rice clearing it off the line that meant that Ramsdale's mistake didn't allow us to concede. Yeah. Like, Ramsdale had a dodgy game against mm-hmm. Brentford, but you can't expect a keeper to come in out of the cold and play a blinder. And I think no. this is something, what's really annoying is that we all saw this coming when yeah. Arteta bought Raya and made this drama for himself. We all saw this coming and it's happening now. And you can't, the, the things like Arteta, the way he's spun it, 
you can't now drop Raya and bring in Ramsdale because then Raya's confidence is gone. Because he's had mm-hmm. one bad performance, you're out of the team. Yeah, yeah. So then Ramsdale comes in and goes, okay, so if I'm shit, is my place gone as well? So you've got two goalkeepers that are shitting themselves. And yeah, I yeah, think, like, a better way for Arteta to have dealt with this. And the, the way that I ex- honestly expected him to was to have one keeper in the league, one keeper in Europe in the Cups. That's yeah. what I thought he would do. I thought we would have Ramsdale in the Champions League, Raya in the Premier League, for example. Mm-hmm. But he's not. He's spun it as whoever's in form plays. So now he does have this question of Raya yeah. has just had an absolute shocker. What do you do? Because if mm-hmm. he does stick with him now, then it's clear that Raya is the number one choice, which I think he is anyway. But you make that statement and you make it clear. Yeah. And he's made this he's made this situation for himself. And I think the team, when you need to beat City to a title, you need everything to be perfect. This is a drama that we really didn't, didn't need. And I think no. Raya hasn't shown enough across all the games to make him clearly better than Ramsdale. I don't think Mm. there's anything beyond the fact that he's better at claiming crosses and his long range passing is better by the statistics. I don't think from an eye test, you could look and go, he's a better keeper than Aaron Ramsdale. So I don't think it was a a necessary um, problem to to cause. No, no, of course. And I'm kind of annoyed that he's done it. Um, and watch it, especially with Ramsdale, who was such a fan favourite, is such a fan favourite as well. I think Raya's the fans are giving him zero patience. And if if Declan Rice doesn't score that late winner, yeah, this is a much bigger problem. <laughs> this yeah. is a much bigger problem than it is now. So I think Raya needs to give his bonus or whatever it is to Declan Rice because he's oh, massively, a lot massively, better. massively. And I think if we were to kind of go into solutionising mode. Obviously, it's quite clear that Ramsdale gets moved on. My natural thoughts is you bring in Lucas Fabianski back to the club. <sighs> you have an experienced head, there. someone yeah. that knows his role. He is solid when he's called upon. He would push Rea. And I think, actually, personally, I would have Fabianski over Rea. That's my thoughts. Wow. Wow. I think... Well, yeah, that's a difficult one. Because I think Rea is also... Playing for Brentford is a very different proposition kettle of fish yeah right because you're tested more at brentford you've got a a lower quality defense without being rude whatever it is like your Mm. your concentration maybe has to be better because it might be longer between shots whatever i feel like he is he's learning to play in the Mm. team like every other player has to learn to play in the team so i think it's really harsh to be like judging him so quickly but like i said he's not shown enough for me to warrant dropping or selling aaron ramsdale and like realistically if you sell aaron ramsdale you only sell him to the premier league because no one else is going to give you enough money i think to be able Mm. to buy him we bought him for 35 million i would at least want to get 50 for him because he's a 24 year old goalkeeper future england goalkeeper Two years' experience in the Premier League got us to the Champions League. I think there's an, at least a 45, 50 million pound goalkeeper there. No one else in the world gives you that apart from the Saudi League or the Premier League. Do I want to sell him to someone else in the Premier League? Not really. I don't want to sell him to Chelsea. I don't want to sell him to Newcastle. But realistically, and for him, for his career, he has to move on, really. But I don't think it's worth David Raya. I just don't no, think he's worth I, it. Yeah, I, I think it was bizarre. I could understand what Arteta's 
thoughts were on this kind of why would you see it differently for other positions in the team and not have like two competitors competing Mm -hmm. at the same time but you you've created a bigger dilemma as you've alluded to than was was actually necessary you you gave ramsdale before this a contract you gave him a new contract right yeah so you are saying by that i believe in you you are our number one and then to have that shattered by kind of bringing in Raya, who you know is going to be competing because he wants to be in that Spain national squad in the Euros. Mm-hmm. And now you're putting so much pressure on yourself when you didn't need that drama. You didn't yeah. need any of this. It's very, very frustrating. It's very frustrating. But I, I want to move on to the positives because yeah, I'm getting fine, a bit depressed. Fine. Um, I think there was a lot to be positive about in this performance. The fact we did dominate, the fact that we didn't lose our heads, even yeah. in the 97th minute when we pumped the ball into the box. It's not Zinchenko who puts the ball in. Zinchenko passes yeah. it onto Erdegaard, who lines up the pass. And I think there's so much about the team just didn't panic. And it mm. was it was... Erdegaard was absolutely incredible. Some of the stuff he was doing in that midfield, because he had the time and he had the space. There was a time when he, going back to his own goal, the player was like five yards away from him. He shimmied and just shifted the player away from him. And he was five yards away. He was incredible. He was unbelievable that game. I think Kai Havertz getting three goals in four games now, whatever it yeah, is. It's he's really hitting form. He's coming into that position. is becoming his. You can see what he's doing. Um, all the front six players all were involved in the goals, right? So Declan yeah, Rice yeah, scores, yeah. Saka assist, Jesus scoring. Like we're getting all of that attack is clicking and it, it was not rushed or panicked. It was just, no, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, we've had mistakes at the back. We've let them in, yeah. but we'll get past it. And that winner... I woke up the entire building. It was like 11 o'clock <laughs> yeah. here and I went absolutely fucking mental. <laughs> and I think loads of Arsenal fans are making the jokes on Twitter now, just send West Ham another 100 million because we've absolutely robbed them. Like, yes, yeah. I have not seen a player make as big an impact in the team for a very long time as Declan mm. Rice has made at Arsenal. Yeah. Like, it gets boring just saying every game, he was good, wasn't he? He was really good. <laughs> like his standard of his level of performance is just consistent and amazing. Yes. It's yeah, just exactly. the guy's a fucking genius. And he's now got two late winners against United and against Luton. He's got something about him that means he gets in there. He has those there's that like just moments. X factor about yeah, players, yeah. right? Where they just find their, their, their mm. they find themselves in that place and they have the cool head to execute the moment. And he's just I cannot believe, I still cannot believe he plays for Arsenal. I cannot yeah, believe he plays for Arsenal. It's a beautiful incredible. bit of business that was. Um, I'm going to kind of draw you back a bit as well, though. Um, as much as the result also covered your defensive woes, we have to talk about the refereeing performance as well for this because Saka, he God. gets kicked about. Penalty decisions were a bit of a joke as well. Yeah. I mean, what, I, what do you make of it? Because we've spoken so much about VAR as well, so extensively on this podcast, but this is getting a bit of a piss take, isn't it? I understand that Luton are going to be a physical team and you're going to get there and mm-hmm. you're going to get knocked yeah, yeah. about and they're going to leave a foot in. I get that. That's the game. I understand yeah. it. But what really pissed me off was there was about four players who went through the back of Bakayo Saka, two of them twice. And Jesus makes one tackle, which was a foul, 
mm-hmm. but makes one foul and he's booked immediately. And I think, okay, I know what Luton's game is, but let's try and be even-handed mm-hmm. here. Let's try and say, you can't say we'll let them away with this, but then the second you try and reply, we're going to jump on you. I feel like that really annoyed me. Saka, thankfully, has the character and Arteta has not tried to protect him and been like, no, he's one of the best players in the league. Yeah. He's going to have to get in, he's going to have to get used to getting the shit kicked out of him. But I do worry about his hamstrings and his calves and how long he can remain injury-free because he got a right treatment. Martinelli did as well. But the one that really pissed me off was the penalty because the Saka one isn't that, that tackle on Saka isn't a penalty. No, I'm not no, talking about no. that. But, the one on Gabrielle, I yeah. don't know what more you have to do for that to be a penalty <laughs> beyond having him round the throat and like choke slamming him. Yeah, basically. I don't know how that isn't a penalty and why what they looked at there and went, no, no that's fine. Because Gabrielle was going to get to the ball. He was yeah. the highest player near the ball and the defender drags him down. And I don't know if they think, oh, he's already passed the ball or I don't know what they saw there that meant that wasn't a penalty, but that was a fucking penalty. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the refereeing was really inconsistent across the game, to be mm, honest. Um, definitely. But that's not me complaining about Luton being physical, because I know... I, no, 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 seen, no. I think, we've I seen think, Stoke. We've seen, you know, if you know what I mean, I know what the, the game is. I just feel like the refs would be a bit more even-handed. I don't think they were particularly rough, but you knew that they weren't going to give you an easy game, right? Mm. That That's the whole point of it, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't... And there's, there's there is an element of is football becoming a bit too soft sometimes with mm-hmm. the element of a shoulder barge is now consistently yeah, yeah, yeah. seen as a foul these days. Um, but on that occasion, definitely a penalty, Rory. I couldn't afraid. believe it. Honestly, I couldn't yeah. believe it. So I think ultimately we deserve to win the game. We won the game. We did it in a very dramatic way, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> but I think Luton, look, Liverpool got a draw there. Tottenham got out of there and scraped a win. Like, yep. Kenilworth Road is not an easy place to go to. Um, I know they've got City next, but it's at Kenilworth Road, right? So I think, yep. um, again, that's another game that I would... I think they could cause City in this this version of City a few problems. So I think it'll be, it'll be mm. an interesting one. But I really, really hope Luton stay up. I think they will. I'm sticking with my prediction there. Um, and I really love Rob Edwards as a manager. I really like him. Yeah, I think. He's adapted to the Premier League so quickly and he's really got his team adapting to it. And I think Vincent Company could maybe take a leaf out of his book and be like, (laughs) wow, okay, this guy, he he knows what it takes to to how much you have to sacrifice and what you need to do, right? Because I think he's doing an incredible job there. Um, But saying that, Luton have just dropped into the relegation zone because Everton have just won 3-0. But I still think Rob Edwards is doing a fantastic job. Um, And Tottenham are losing at home to West Ham. Oh, God, I love football. Um, (laughs) Let's move on from Arsenal-Luton. if it was an incredible game. And we're going to talk about the next one. Should we do Bournemouth Palace, which is a bit of a random yeah. one, but should we do Bournemouth Palace? Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Palace nil, Bournemouth 2. Senezi and Kiefer Moore getting mm. the goal. Lovely to see him playing in the scoring in the Premier League. Bournemouth now three wins, one draw, and one loss in the last five, whereas Crystal Palace, three losses, one draw, and one win. It feels like, let's talk about Palace first. Mm-hmm. The Roy Hodgson thing really worked last season. Do you think he makes it to the end of this season? It's touch and go, isn't it? It really is touch and go. I think 
for the balance of what what you can see the other teams you would say that Crystal Palace have enough about them to stay in the league but I could see this issue happening anyway because Rory they they revert back to type which is that they play really placid football they don't play inspiring football at the moment they are well drilled right and they can pull off sometimes really shock results but at the moment since obviously I I feel Saha's left it's kind of meant that someone else has had to take up that focal point and no one's necessarily stepping up to be that person, right? Ebereche is a has been quite good when he's been on, but it's all about getting the consistency from him. Um at the moment, even for this particular match, obviously he wasn't on. But then you're thinking He's never right, been a big scorer though either, as he? no, he's never been someone no, who he's not. And then you kind of think, well, Michael Luce is that person as well. And I think that the problem is you haven't got anything around Elise to kind of help him out. And I think with Edouard, he's just by himself as well up top. He needs a partner, ideally, which kind of means that you kind of change the formation. But I'm looking at their squad right now and I don't necessarily see who can be that player and around them in terms of midfield I think they're a bit lost in terms of their identity at the beginning of the season Will Hughes was performing quite well but now he's starting to become a more substitute option um, they've got Jean-Philippe Mateta as well who comes on as a substitute but he's not he's not great he's not brilliant so you kind of question I suppose that whole team now in terms of like what do they do? And I'm looking at even their stats for this match. Like they had 16 shots, which doesn't sound like they're doing too badly, but it's only really two of them that can be considered as big chances, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing we have to also say is passing wise, that although they outpassed Bournemouth, Bournemouth were just more clinical. They, they had better kind of use of the ball when they had it and they took the chances. Um, so I think Ariola's started to find something that's working for him. And um, yeah, question marks for Roy Hodgson. I don't think personally, Roy, and I've never seen it with Roy Hodgson. He never kind of changes his style of football. Mm. I've never seen him kind of change it. And I think that's the worry for Crystal Palace fans at this stage. I haven't really gone into detail with Crystal Palace fans and looked at what they're saying about it. But I don't think personally, if I'm a Palace fan, I'm confident about the way this season's going to pan out. Right. At the moment as well, you look at the clubs like Everton, I think they're going to pull themselves out of it. Um, yeah. So if you've got Bournemouth now pulling themselves out of it, then that's going to cause you a little bit more tension when you're getting dragged down to the bottom. And if we're talking about the likes of Chris Wilder's now being the replacement at Sheffield United, I think he's going to start getting some morale kind of boosting elements mm-hmm. with that squad. Burnley were seemingly, it looks like that it might kick on. Luton, we've just said, I think are in a much more comfortable position out of the three. I think they're more likely to cause some question marks. So I, I don't think necessarily I'm confident about Crystal Palace's chances of staying up this season unless they change something. Um, yeah. But Rory, to you, do you think a transfer window is going to help them out or do you think it needs a movement in terms of manager? Because I obviously like... they tried to change styles with Vieira yeah. and they've reverted back to... Awesome. Exactly. I feel like that whole Vieira thing, like I know Vieira kind of uh, didn't really progress them and they they finished, I think, in the exact same position as they did under yeah. Roy the season before. Yeah. But I feel like he was try they were trying to reinvent themselves, right? And sometimes that does yeah. remain where you are, but you change your style. And obviously it wasn't working. 
they were on a terrible run of form. I think it was probably the right decision to see Vieira off. But I think them reverting straight back to Roy Hodgson just means like, oh, wait, we don't believe in the plan. Right? Yeah. Um, but again, Crystal Palace don't have a lot of money to spend. They're not a particularly rich no. club. They're trying to get through this, you know, bring through the youth system, trying to become the club that brings, like, just mines that incredible mm. wealth of talent in South yep. London, which is a fantastic thing to do. But I think at this point, you need a new manager. I don't think bringing in, a, I don't think, and like, no, basically, I think that squad is good enough to stay up. I think that squad is good enough to be pushing to the top half of the league. Mm. I just think you need to be a bit more adventurous. I'm just looking at the table and the fact they've scored 14 goals in 15 games. Yeah. The only team who's scored less is Sheffield United with 11. Mm. Like, Burnley have scored 15 goals. Oh, sorry, Luton have scored. No, Luton have scored 16. So, yeah, it's literally Sheffield United yeah. and Palace. And then, but they've not conceded a mad amount of goals. They've only conceded 21, right? So you're yeah. like, they're not losing them by much. There's not much in the game. It's just, you need that bit more mm. um, ambition, I think, and just trying to get the most out of that squad. Because we've talked many times about how good Decore is in midfield and Eze and Elise. Yeah. And like, um, oh, the striker, his name's Edward is a Edward, yeah. pretty exciting player and he's a decent striker. Mm-hmm. I just think you need to find a way to be creating more chances because 14 goals is just not good enough. No. Um, I remember in our predictions pod, I panicked and said Crystal Palace to go down. <laughs> and I think I might have actually been onto something because unless they t- unless they change something, I think they, they are, they're fully getting dragged into it. They're lucky that they're six points ahead of it for now. Do you know what's interesting as well? Crystal Palace have um, basically obtained more points away from home so it almost indicates that they're struggling massively to do anything at home at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I'm trying to have a look at their fixture list as well. I mean, it, I, if I remember rightly, Man City is around the corner for them. So yeah, yeah the yeah. following is Saturday, 16th. They've got to face them yeah. away. This weekend, they're at home to Liverpool. Now that that tends to be one of the games that can be a bit of a bogey for uh, Liverpool at some- times. Batterings of Liverpool, though. I think they got yeah, them they have. at home a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. But if you look they've at it, so batterings. after Man City, they're at home to Brighton, which ain't going to be easy. That's a derby. Then they're of. away to Chelsea, and then they're at home to Brentford before 6th of January, home to Everton. Some massive games going I don't forward. Know how many of them they win? <laughs> As in, can I, I say will, one? I'll put maybe four points out of those. Wow. Maybe. Yeah. That's not looking too pretty, is it? I would it? go for one, really. I think they might get a draw against Everton, but Brentford, I don't think they pick anything up against. Honestly. Well, especially um, if um, Brentford would have Ivan Tony, hopefully, by then. Yeah. So, yeah, that's scary. <laughs> that is scary. I forgot he's coming back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not good times for Crystal Palace, but we do need to talk about Bournemouth. Um, Iriola has absolutely turned it around. They have an yeah. identity. They are putting teams to the sword. They were very unlucky to not beat Aston Villa. That was Mm -hmm. not a great performance from Villa, but there was a late equaliser. As I said, Bournemouth now unbeaten in four, and you can see why they may be appointed Iriola now. You can see the vision, right? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I know it's taken some time. I think there was a period of this season where um, a lot of thought was towards sacking Iriola and saying, you know, it wasn't so bad under Gary O'Neill, right? Um, mm-hmm. 
But ironically, they're almost in the position where they could be overtaking Kerry O'Neill and Wolves soon. Um, as it currently stands, they're just the goal difference that's really hindering Bournemouth at the moment. But they could genuinely push on. I, I, they've built on this, you know, incredible bit of form at the moment. The players are playing quite well. Sinistiera is playing really well for them at the moment. Um, but Ryan Christie is one of the standouts, I would say, at the moment. And I know he won't get the headlines compared to the likes mm. of Semenyo as well, for example, Rory. But Ryan yeah, Christie yeah. has created a lot more of the opportunities for Bournemouth at the moment for this season. Um, he's the engine for Bournemouth um, and mm-hmm. he's a solid player. Like He was yeah, good yeah. at Celtic, for example, wasn't he? And I, I thought they got him on a bit of a cheap at the time when they bought him from, at the time, I think it was, they were in the championship as well. Yeah, so yeah. for someone like him to go under the radar, it's, you know, I, I think Bournemouth have a good kind of foundation, Rory, of players mm-hmm. at, the, at this moment in time. They're actually performing for the manager. And I'm glad for Ariola because there was a lot of hype around his style um, from Spain. It'd be good to see if he can um, just build on this now because clearly yeah. it's taken some time to adapt to the Premier League and now he's starting to get his feet in there. Well, this is it exactly. I think he's he's getting the he's getting his ideas across. I think it's really nice to see Justin Cliver apparently find a home. He's a player that's kind of been floating around <laughs> yeah. Europe, showing bits of promise, but he's yeah. doing very very well at Bournemouth uh, this season. He's looking nice and lively. And I want to just give a shout out to Zabarny, the um, Ukrainian centre back who was fantastic in this game. He's a centre-back that I've been excited about for a while. And it's good to see him um, starting to get find a bit of form and become a part mm. of the defence that's looking a bit more coherent. And th- that guy is super talented. He's really technical, very good on the ball, physical, like just a very all-round, very good all-round defender. So I'm super excited to see him doing well as well. Um, and yeah, good to see Bournemouth doing well because it did look like Gary sacking Gary O'Neill. It was still super cold, but yeah. I feel like maybe they're being a bit redeemed for it now. Um and we'll see who finishes higher. Hey, we will see yeah. who finishes higher. Um but for Crystal Palace, I don't know who they go to next, but I feel like Roy is very much just treading water until they figure out who they want, right? Um yeah. nice. So the last game we're gonna talk about, I think, is Fulham five. Nottingham Forest nil. Yep. Fulham have now scored eight goals in their last two games. It was no, yeah, four three. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, so they've scored eight goals in their last two games. A team that have gone from really struggling to score to scoring all of the goals against Nottingham Forest, who it looks like it's the end of the road, as boys to men said for Steve <laughs> Cooper. Um, from what I've seen online, Nottingham Forest fans are very unhappy about the idea of him being sacked. They're massively on his side, which I'm not surprised about. But Look, I think he's um, definitely your project manager for this team, personally. I, I, I think he's obviously the man that has won them over because he also got them into the Premier League, right? And I think the performances of that team have been inconsistent, right, Rory? But mm-hmm. when they are playing together and they are... You know, they've got the end goals together. They are kind of formidable. They can be a really threatening side. Um, But the players are letting him down at the moment in time. It's quite evident because 
the comments that he said, I thought he was so fair with the interviewer as well, because I think if that was Klopp being asked about his job role, I'm it sure he gets a different, different reaction. So we saw funny, it on, uh, oh, was it yesterday so evening as well? Um, Klopp having a go at the report, just joking about his favourite kickoff time of 12.30. <laughs> um, There's that famous German sense of humour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think he's being let down by his players at the moment and it's a shame. But I did call it on Monday night's mm-hmm. live stream. I said this was going to be a threat. I'm surprised yeah. it hasn't been announced, to be honest. So maybe he's got a chance this weekend to turn it around. Um, but yeah, the players have got to start waking up here. And uh, The worry is, have they got enough about them? I, I just, yeah, on that performance alone, they were dreadful. And uh, I forgot that Hudson Odoi actually existed. He was. <laughs> I didn't realize he was at Forest. Yeah. Honestly, he was at Forest. Started a game and he was terrible, and he was yeah. bought off. So I mean, yeah, that that kind of sums you up about the depth that Nottingham Forest have. I mean, what, what's your natural thoughts after this game, anyway? Yeah, just I, all I saw was a team that stopped playing for the manager, and I think Steve Cooper doesn't deserve it. Um, I think it really and you saw it from the reaction of the fans at the end of the game they were cheering Steve Cooper and booing the players and I think that's completely fair because what's going to happen is he will get sacked and the players will remain in employment and the cycle will continue and you think he did such a good job getting Forest up. How long were they in the championship? Like they became a they were like twenty years down there. Right? It was just <laughs> they were not getting out of it. And for him to have that amazing season and get them promoted through the playoffs and stay up with them when nobody really gave them a chance and they to stay up they got results against Chelsea, Liverpool, and Arsenal at the end of the season to stay up and they like. I just feel like the players have just fucking let him down. And mm. maybe that's what happens when there's been obviously it's been well documented the turnover in players and staff yeah, and yeah. whatever else there and the players that got him into the league that were willing to fight and die for him aren't there anymore. They're not there now. They've been replaced with different players who aren't willing to do that. So maybe that is part of the problem. Um but I think yeah, he's just been let down. But I don't mm. think it'll be long before he finds himself in another job. Um yeah. and I really, really respected the fact that after the game, when he was asked about being sacked, he said, if it's the right thing for the club, then it's the right thing for me. He very, very clearly just loves Nottingham Forest and just wants the best for the club. And I think he's handled himself with nothing but dignity the entire yeah, time. Massively. <laughs> and massively. like when it's been his fault, he takes the flag and he goes, no, that's on me. But I like that last night as a parting shot, he did come out and say, no, this isn't all on me some of those have let me down and they've not put in the graft. And I saw today that um, Ryan Yates and another player have been banned from training. They've been told to come in at a later time to the rest of the squad and that the club will be getting rid of them. They've been told they're no no longer needed, basically. I saw it on Twitter today, which is a bit mad if that's official, Um, which kind of alludes to the fact, again, like we were talking about, the chairman isn't particularly stable. No, (laughs) he's he's taking it out on the players rather than Steve. I don't know. But again, club captain, who's got the club promoted and played with Steve Cooper all this time, maybe isn't the guilty party. I don't know. It seems a bit mad. Well, it's interesting about that Joe Rural piece as well, because obviously... Joe Rural, that's the other one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's the one that obviously had one of his members pass away recently. And obviously, he was bought in for the game straight after that yeah. incident and performed heroics. 
and then he's been in the Colts. So mm. yeah, it's a strange situation when you think these are what you would consider as Nottingham born and bred, right? Mm. So um, yeah, yeah. yeah, not not great times. But when you've got Divock Origi up front, I mean, I, I do I do worry. Sky's for the limit. Sky's the limit, right? <laughs> Sky is the limit. Uh, but we have to say, for Fulham, what a turnaround. Jesus. Yeah. Christ, Jesus. It looked like they were really getting dragged into that relegation battle. Now they find themselves in 12th on 18 points, nine points above the relegation zone, looking nice and cosy. Um, two wins in the last five. It is a bit feast and famine. It's either lose or win at the minute. Yeah. But um, a 5-0 win is no mean feat. And... Raul Jimenez back amongst the goals. Could they actually get a bit of a tune out of him? We've all wanted to see him hit the form that he had with Wolves. Obviously, that horrific injury really took yeah. it out of him. But if we could see him back amongst the goals, that'd be a nice thing, right? Yeah, definitely. It'd be quite nice. I, I didn't think it would be coming, though, to be fair. It didn't no, look I like it was going to show at any time because <laughs> yeah, yeah. this felt like it was just one of those kind of subjects or moves for him anyway um, mm. as like a last chance like yeah, try yeah. and get himself up there but look I think when you look at behind him he's got a lot of creative kind of spark. Wobi's starting to perform quite well since he's moved down there. Pereira obviously he's done quite well since he's moved to Fulham. Um, you've got Harry Wilson as well who mm. can come off the bench and he assisted on this one. Willie Ann I never thought I'd be uttering this word fuck that but guy. he started to I'm never going to gonna say a, I'm never going to say a kind word again about him I'm sorry fuck that guy <laughs> but then there's um, Paulinho as well so yeah, Paulinho yeah, yeah, exactly. well. moving on I like him um, <laughs> but Willie Ann can go fuck himself um, but him and Ed's getting to as you said it will be getting to after another great performance at Anfield uh, Tom Kearney club captain I think mm. still yes yeah. um, getting a goal in the 86th to make it a comprehensive win but as we said Nottingham Forest made it more than comfortable for them um, the last game we need to talk about I suppose very quickly is Manchester United 2 Chelsea 1 Scott McTominay single-handedly <laughs> dragging Manchester United through this season he's their top goal scorer currently with five goals um, Chelsea bloody hell the fact that we are seeing no improvement <laughs> in Chelsea I'm starting to question Pochettino because it's kind of, we've said it about Ten Hag, right? What what are they coaching during the week, right? What are they doing yeah, on the training yeah, pitch yeah. during the week? And I kind of think this win for United was more driven by like us, mm-hmm. us versus them against the journalists and all that yeah, narrative yeah, of course, that happened yeah. this the week. Narrative, I think yeah. that really helped and that's not a permanent thing. Let's just say no. that. But I think we do have to level the same criticism at Pochettino that we are not seeing a clear plan when Chelsea play. Whatever happens to them mm-hmm. happens through moments. Yep. Like, 100%. do you think is Pochettino is he underperforming and has he underperformed since he left Spurs? I think if you look at this performance alone, Chelsea fans were expecting them to take the game to Man United. They knew all they had to do was have shots at against Onana and that defence, right? Because that's the weak point for Man United. Yeah. But they let them comfortably dominate the possession. They had more shots on goal. They made it look like that Chelsea were the crisis club. Yeah. They didn't. It didn't look like Man United were struggling at any point. Well, it is really, two is crisis it? clubs. To be fair. That's what I mean. That's what <laughs> yeah, I mean. But yeah. at that stage, yeah. you're saying yeah. actually, Man United. I know a few days ago we were talking about them being shit, but actually they're not that bad compared yeah. to this yeah. lot. These are all right. This, this lot. is not yeah, too bad. Yeah. I think yeah. Man United fans want to play Chelsea every week, um, but. <laughs> You, look, when you're relying on 
little sparks like Cole Palmer to pull you through these games. I think that says a lot about how they're performing this season. And I'm not confident about Pochettino. I, I know this was, we all said, look, he's going to need time. But I think Chelsea fans have come to that point now where they need to see some progress, whether that be in terms of the style of football or whether it be, you know, grinding out results. They want to see something happening. And I don't feel that they're confident about the direction yet. Like you allude to a few weeks ago, I think we were kind of all saying that they're creating chances, but they haven't got a goal scorer. Now it just doesn't feel like they're doing anything at all. Yeah, yeah. Like defensively, I thought he established it on Saturday and now you come to this performance and they're just dreadful again. Mm-hmm. So I just don't know with this Chelsea squad. Is it a mentality thing? I don't know. As the kind of riches that they've been spent on this squad got to the players' heads as well because they think they've made it. Therefore, they don't need any. They don't have any pressure. The other element as well, I think this is, plays a huge part but it's the experience within that squad. When we're talking about like the what I would consider as the most experienced player in that squad, Thiago Silva, when he's there, he marshals that defence. He marshals the players around him. And I think they missed that up top. They missed that also in midfield. He, he does also look like recently all those 40 years have caught up with him. Yeah, I feel like no, there, was, 100%, there was a moment. 100%. There was a moment, I can't remember what game it was, maybe the game against Newcastle. Brighton Newcastle. Newcastle, Newcastle, where it, you saw the moment where all those years hit him. Yeah, oh, thought, massively. Oh, I felt like, sorry for him because... We're it, seeing a player go now, we're seeing him go. Yeah, and this is, this is where you kind of go, right, he needs to be on the bench, but he needs to come on. He needs to shore yeah. up the defence. But but he is the only leader in that squad at the same and time. And he's the only decent yeah. centre-back they've got. Yeah, if I'd be yeah. brutally honest, he's the only... You know, they, yeah. they pissed off Aspicoleta back to Spain. Yeah, yeah. So now they have to rely on Thiago Silva. But my point is... It doesn't have to be that old in terms of experienced players, yeah, but they yeah. are. They well, it goes back to that summer spending, the amount of money they spent, the players they could have bought for that same amount of money that had that experience, and why they got rid of Kovacic is mind-boggling Beyond still me. to this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is what I mean. They could have bought this players. Pochettino had the opportunity, didn't want to influence it clearly, or whether that is the t- Todd Bowley effect. I don't know, yeah, but. Yeah. There's somewhere in between there's the answer. And to the point, Pochettino, I don't know what he's actually instilling into this squad. I don't see the identity that you saw with Spurs. Mm -hmm. I think Pochettino was a bit found out at PSG with the same kind of critique as well, that what is he actually doing with these players? And we thought it's because of the basket case club that is PSG. PSG, But actually you're seeing it now with Chelsea. Well, that's another basket case of a club. He's really (laughs) picked his jobs quite badly, I'll be honest. But I, I do also feel like if Chelsea had a decent striker up front, maybe United don't win this game. Because even though they didn't create that much, they still had enough chances to equalise. And I think, yeah, yeah with a decent striker, they probably don't get the, the result here. But for Manchester United, that's a big win, isn't it, really? Huge and win. they only find themselves three points behind Manchester City. Which, which is mind-boggling. To say. I don't know how that's happened. And they're still yet to draw a game this season. This season, is the other point, yeah. They just mental. win or lose. Win or lose. <laughs> There's all or nothing. There's no in-between. Definition, definition of all or nothing. Feast or famine. 18 goals scored, 18 goals conceded. Just <laughs> what is happening at that club? It's mental. But I do, I really like when Ten Hag comes out after they've won. 
because he's proper like, oh, I fucking told you. See, I told you, this is what happens. I'm a good coach again. Yeah, and then they're going <laughs> yeah, to lose at the weekend. And you've got, yeah. oh, okay, classic. Um, so I think, look, it was a performance against Chelsea. Yes, it was. And Scott McTominay um, is the player of the season for Man United well, Scott already. Scott McTominay is incredible. <laughs> we have to give him a shout. Of like, <laughs> I think having him in a role where he doesn't have to be in charge of possession, he's not the guy who's like keeping the ball, the metronome, that kind of having mm. that key role in midfield, just allowing him to bomb forward and be that like late yeah. runs into the box, 100%. dynamic like forward passes, whatever. His job isn't to retain possession. He's not no. very good at it. No. But I think allow it, like letting him off the leash a bit, playing him in that more attacking role, he's a very, very dangerous player. Like, yeah. And that 100%. is another two goals for him. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't be happier for him, honestly, because I think if there's one player at that squad or in that team who fucking gives a shit about Manchester United, is Scott McTominay. Every time mm. he talks, he's been there the entire time since, I think he was there when Ferguson was there, right? He's <laughs> yes, been there he was. a yeah, while. Yeah. It's been like, there a long time. So I think he sees what has happened to the club. He sees, he knows what's going on and he's still mm. just Man United through and through. So I think I've got nothing but respect for the bloke. And if we're talking about players like Rashford that aren't willing to put the graft in, apparently, yeah. um, McTominay is. So I think players like that deserve the, the rewards. Chance, yeah. And yeah. that he's been absolutely fantastic. So great for Manchester United. Four wins in the last five now, which is, again, yeah. sounds mental to say, <laughs> um, for a club that was in crisis. And maybe they will get in the top four. Mm, maybe they maybe. will. <laughs> maybe they will. But they do have Bournemouth at home and... I still think that's a tricky one at the yes, weekend. Um, yeah. But we will see. We're going to leave the Premier League there, I think. There's not much Serie A or Italian football at all this week. Um, but no. the rest of the results, let's very quickly go through them. Wolves beat Burnley 1-0, courtesy of Huang. Again, having a fantastic mm-hmm. season down in the Midlands as well. Liverpool beat Sheffield United fairly comfortably. 2-0, yep. Van Dijk from a corner and Schobberschlei in the 94th minute. Um Brighton came from 1-0 down to beat Brentford 2-1 at home. Pascal Gross and Jack Hinshelwood, um, yes, academy yeah. graduate, I think, getting the winner yes. there. Um, and this evening, we've not seen the highlights, um, but no. Everton have beaten Newcastle 3-0. Beto getting a goal in the 96th minute. Ducore, who I think is now Everton's all-time top goal scorer at this rate, has got another goal. Um, Newcastle massively, massively disappointing there. And Tottenham have gone from 1-0 up to 2-1 down as West Ham have beat them. Goals from Jared Bowen and James Ward-Prowse. I bet it's a free kick. Um, (laughs) Have delivered the win for West Ham and it's all gone a bit wrong, mate, at Tottenham. (laughs) Um, But I'm not being too smug about it. We are currently nine points ahead of them. Lovely. (laughs) Lovely. Um, We are going to come back. We're going to take a quick break. Um, Yeah. And we're going to come back with some mastermind. Um, yeah, we'll see you on the other side. My name is David Artel, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. Surprise, it's not mastermind, it's the weekend preview. <laughs> we like to keep you on, our to- on your toes, listeners. Um, and we're going to start with the Premier League. The early kickoff, as Jurgen Klopp was delighted <laughs> to be teased about, is Crystal Palace taking on Liverpool. Crystal Palace, as we've said, in terrible form. Mm-hmm. Um, Liverpool looking to hand out another 7-0 battering at Selhurst Park, I imagine. That is the early kickoff, uh, half past 12 on Saturday. Then we have Wolves taking on Nottingham Forest. 
we will see if Steve Cooper is in charge for this one, or will it be Julian Lopetegui returning mm. to his old club as he is being linked to the Forest uh, to the Forest job? That is the first of the three o'clock kickoffs. Then we have Brighton taking on Burnley, we have Sheffield United taking on Brentford, and we have Manchester United hosting Bournemouth. I think that could an upset at three o'clock then the late kickoff on saturday we have aston villa hosting arsenal gulp um (laughs) arsenal scraped out of there last year with a 4-2 win thanks to emmy martinez basically Mm. i don't think they're gonna do afford us the same the same favor this year definitely not Um, i'm gonna take a draw thank (laughs) you please um and then switching to sunday we have luton town hosting man city can they provide another Difficult performance. Can they cause some problems for Man City? Obviously, Rodri is back, so maybe that will make a big difference. That is 2 o'clock on Sunday. Then we have Fulham taking on West Ham in a London derby. And we have Everton taking on Chelsea. I think that is going to be a big win for Everton, I think. I can see Everton picking up more points there. I don't think Chelsea are going to have enough to take on that Goodison atmosphere. Mm. And then the last game of the weekend, an absolute banger. Tottenham taking on Newcastle fresh off a defeat against West Ham (laughs) and without a win in their last four. Can Tottenham take advantage of an injury-stricken Newcastle or will Newcastle manage to piece together 11 players from the odd bits they've got (laughs) out the back to manage to get a result? Only time will tell. Adam, take us through Serie A. Yes, well, listener, if you're listening to us on Friday... You are in for a treat as Juventus take on Napoli. Ooh. So this will be Walter Mazzari coming to Juventus, hoping to get his first win on board. Or second win, should I say, sorry, because he got the win against Atalanta over a week ago now. Um, but yeah, let's see what happens because that's a hell of a match to start us off for this weekend in Serie A. Spicy. Then we move into Saturday. We've got Hellas Verona taking on Lazio. That's the 2 p.m. kickoff time. But then if we move into the later kickoff, so at 5 p.m., Big game in Bergamo as Atalanta face AC Milan. Let's see if they can follow up their win from last week against Frosinone. And then Inter at home to take on this draw specialist, Udinese, at 7.45. So we've got a really packed first few days there, Rory. But then we move into Sunday's fixtures. We've got Frosinone taking on Torino. Monza taking Genoa. Salernitana at home to Bologna. And then late kickoff on Sunday is a juicy one again. Roma taking on Fiorentina. Roma, the form side at the moment. Fiorentina, mm, let's let's see how this goes for them. Hit and uh, miss, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's probably fair. They just about yeah. struggle against Parma in the Coppa Italia, so that says it all, uh, folks. Um, and then quickly on Monday, we have got Empoli taking on Lecce and Calgary taking on Sassuolo. So that's your fixtures in Serie A. Good. I'm hearing some really strange noises next to I don't know what's going on. Um, I've tried not to be distracted. Sorry, this is uh, really weird. Anyway, um, we are going to go straight into the mastermind quiz. I'm quite unsettled. I don't know what's happening. Um, I hope it's not getting picked up on the microphone. Anyway, um, let's go to mastermind after this break. And with the tension adequately set, we are now in the Mastermind Quiz. Adam, are you ready to choose your categories? 
I am, and I'm hoping there's no exorcism in the background. So let's no, let's pray. I think they've completed the uh, the the ritual or whatever <laughs> was going on next door, and now all is calm. Um, so Adam, we have the two categories that you can choose from between European teams making their debut season in Europe this oh. year, or managers who have had the shortest reigns in the Premier League history. Oh, blessed. I think given the context of Paul Heckingbottom leaving Sheffield United, we should go for the latter. Let's go for managers with the shortest reigns. Nice. So I'm going to give you one minute, obviously, mm-hmm. as Clearly. the quiz dictates. Um, and we're going <laughs> to... I'm going to give you the manager... No, not the manager. The club... <laughs> That would make it's... it a bit too easy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you the club, um, the season, and the mm-hmm. nationality of the manager. Okay. Okay. Nice. So, starting from three, two, one, go. Um, in the 1819 season, in charge of Fulham, Italian manager. Ranieri. One. Very nice. Um, the 2008-2009 season, Portsmouth, English manager. Redknapp? Oh, no. Okay. Next one. 2002-2002, Derby County, Scottish manager? Uh, Billy... Oh, fuck. Fuck. I've forgotten his surname. It's Billy, though. Billy, oh God, no, I'm going to have to pass. No, moving on to the next one. The 2022-2023 season, Southampton, Welsh. Oh, it's our good friend, Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones, correct, too. Um, The the 2012-2012 season, 91 days, English Wolverhampton Wanderers. Steve Davis? Oh, no. That's a very good shout. Oh. Terry Connor. I'm going oh, to check of Steve Davis isn't in the running. No, he isn't. That's fine. No. I can get away with that one. Nice. So, <laughs> with, that was the top 10 managers with the shortest reign. So, you started correctly with Claudio Ranieri, 106 days in charge wow. of Fulham. Um, the number nine for Portsmouth 2008-2009 was Tony Adams. Of course it was. was in charge for equally 106 days. Um, now, I need to check if he's Scottish. Colin Todd is Scottish, right? It sounds like a Scottish name. Um, yeah, I think he's English or Scottish, but yeah, his son played for Scotland, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Maybe that's why you got confused. Maybe. So, it was Derby County, t- 2002 to 2002. Do you know which one I was getting charge. confused with? It was Billy Davis. Billy Davis. Say, yeah, so name came a back. fairly safe bet in terms of yeah. short managerial reigns. Um, the 2022-2023 <laughs> season, you did get correct. It is friend of the show, Nathan Jones. I'm proud Welshman and rejecter of, <laughs> of Welsh women, Nathan Jones. <laughs> um, and then the last one, as I said, was Terry Connor for Wolves in 2012 to 2012, 91 days in charge. Um, do you want to give me, see if you can guess any of the top five shortest reigning managers in Premier League? Shortest history? reigning. These oh. aren't interim managers, these are like four These are proper managers. managers. Does it include last season as well? Um, this was written in 2023, this article, so... So, yes. possibly. Um, is Sam Allardyce at Leeds potentially on that list? No, it isn't. Ooh, okay, fair mad. enough. 
so maybe it needs updating. I don't know. <laughs> um, trying to think. Uh, R- Rude Hullet? Newcastle? No. No. I'll give you the clubs. Let's see if Go you on. can do it. That's it. So we have Watford, of course, classic. Of course they are. Um, it depends Spanish, what nationality now. Spanish <laughs> oh. manager. Uh, I'm trying to work out which one's probably the shortest. Uh, Kike Sanchez. Kike Flores. Sanchez Flores. Very nice. Yeah. Swansea City, American. Oh, Bob Bradley, right? Bob Bradley, Brad Bobley, nice. Um, Dutch Crystal Palace, worst manager in living Fandible. memory. Fandible, Fandible. Yeah. <laughs> what a shit show that was. <laughs> um, Dutch Fulham, um, ex assistant at Manchester United. Martin, oh, uh, Rennie Mullenstein. Rennie Mullenstein, very nice. And. Someone who sounds like a 70s entertainer. Uh, Charlton <laughs> Athletic, uh, 41 days. Let's read. Let's read. Exactly. He does sound like a 70s entertainer, right? Who, who got caught up in Operation Nutri. Um, but that is that is the quiz. Uh, well done, Adam. You oh, got thank two. you. That's not bad. Thank you. That's um, not too bad. Unfortunately, the last ones didn't count, but, you know, I'll be nice to you. Um, good. <laughs> so, guys, we are finished for today. Um, thank you for joining us. As always, you can find us on Twitter at the Anglo-Italian... Uh, no, Italian Anglo... Pod, Jesus <laughs> Christ. On Instagram at Anglo-Italian Pod and on TikTok at Anglo-Italian Pod. I'm now typing Anglo-Italian Pod into my phone when I'm typing <laughs> Carragher. Um and yeah if you're watching the video hit like and subscribe do them things please <laughs> so with pep guardiola getting a little bit prissy about the um accusations of complacency setting in in the man city man city camp he turned around and pointed out that jamie Carragher had never won a premier league to which jamie Carragher responded i think i'd have probably won one if liverpool were owned by a nation state the rules so far that the Premier League charged us 115 times I absolutely love that from Jamie Carragher, never change guys, ciao, adopo we will see you on Monday ciao, ciao Podcast Network.